Lean Cast, Product Innovation and UX Design with Bonanza Design. Hello, hello. Again, we are back with another episode of Lean Cast. That would be, I believe, episode six. I am super excited to dedicate this episode to NFT, Web3, and what's going on in this space. Uh, with me, Arthur, um, one of the sharpest dude I met in the space. Super on, super educated, super hands-on. So my hope is to get a lot out of this conversation. No pressure on you, Arthur. How are you mm. doing? How are you feeling? Take it away. All good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to see such a big audience. Honestly, for me, it's a big audience. I haven't done much sort of public speaking in a sense and like webinars and podcasts, just some Twitter spaces. But so I'm looking forward to this. Um, we've prepared some materials, something that we kind of when I myself work currently with Bonanza uh, to help them kind of develop this NFT arm of the agency and kind of understand what services the space is lacking um, and how Bonanza and the talent that the studio has can help new brands entering the space, right? Um, so that's what I'm here for. And I've been in the space for quite a while. I've been doing sort of in and out um, involved in blockchain since 2016 or so. Um, and then I kind of went all in uh, last year or kind of last autumn, you know, autumn 20, right? Uh, so kind of before the, the big craze started. And my goal since then was to learn as much as possible, to get involved with as many projects as possible, to kind of learn something from each one of them, you know, an approach, a tactic, um, whatever it is, right? And I've been doing a lot of research. I'm currently uh, developing my own tool that kind of pulls together a lot of resources in the NFT space that, for example, you as a uh, new person in the space or one that is, you know, acquainted with, let's say, Ethereum blockchain and NFTs on there that you could expand your knowledge and uh, basically like a public database of tools uh, centered around NFTs. So that's that's shortly about me. Um, so I guess we can dig in. Awesome. So. Um... So let's talk about, so this is, let's go like through the basics, first of all. Let's talk about what is blockchain and, uh, and how NFT is related to blockchain. Arthur, what is blockchain and how in this whole blockchain thing, how, how does NFT fit in this? Yeah, so um, the ease of it, Perhaps before I start, um, an important thing that I like to mention is that you don't always have to understand how a car's engine work in order to drive the car successfully or well, right? And that's the same for the blockchain that kind of up until, let's say, 2021, when the NFT craze came and finally reached the consumer, right, with the art and entertainment and all of that. Before that, all the topics around blockchain were centered around tech and big companies and B2B solutions and logistics and so on. And so uh, ordinary people had a very tough time coming into the space because it was a head on. Imagine if you want to kind of you come into the car service and before you're allowed to buy a car, um, they kind of try to push you to understand how a car works. And so essentially blockchain is the engine, right? And all the use cases that we're currently kind of discovering like NFTs this is more of a, you know, your experience driving the car. So in its essence, blockchain is just a database. Um, but compared to regular databases that are, you know, stored on servers, let's say, or in, in data centers in Google or Amazon, blockchain is like a distributed one, right? So it's much harder to take it down. So let's say, and then if you put something into the blockchain, right, in this case, a proof of a transaction that somebody sends someone some money, right? It's much harder to kind of fake it or break it, right? So that's where it came from. And uh, back in 2016, I was finishing uh, my studies, uh, my bachelor studies, uh, and I wrote my bachelor uh, thesis on blockchain, right? So we were writing smart contracts and our use case in that 
specific example was around sh the shipping industry. Uh, and the, what the startup that we worked with wanted to do is wanted, they wanted to use the blockchain to track shipment containers because the issue the industry had was that these shipment containers uh, were getting lost once in a while. They fell of a container, fell of a ship, you know, uh, during a transit or some of them are stored in some warehouses and very often, especially, you know, what we learned with the COVID, um, how containers got stacked pretty much in US, right? And no containers were going to China and to Asia to bring products. That way we, that's why we had all these bottlenecks in logistics. Essentially, there was a huge problem of imbalance and they wanted to use the technology uh, to track these containers and to allow shipping carriers, like let's say Maersk, um, to trade them, right? That's what we worked on. And the kind of, the main point there was that during those times, the main, uh, utility was this big B2B kind of thing that people tried to sell each other um, with like near field communications, right? The NFT, NFC tags or like IoT things. And so it was very far away from consumers and from people like us, right? And so then uh, NFTs came, right? And the first instance was around like 2017, actually with CryptoKitties, where the idea was that um, instead of having let's say Bitcoin that has 21 million supply and all the Bitcoin is, uh, you know, the same. So that's where the term fungible comes from is when, if you have one Bitcoin, it's the same as the other one and you exchange them, right. And the value is the same and you won't kind of uh, tell apart one Bitcoin from another. And the idea of NFTs was to kind of create an asset uh, like that, but where each asset would be kind of unique, right? So you couldn't exchange one, uh, to the other, they wouldn't be like identical. So this is where NFTs came. And yes, uh, so I see a question about CryptoKitties. That's pretty much how it started, um, was one of the first projects. Uh, and now, now here we are. Yeah, I remember that NFT craze, like CryptoKitties craze. I was actually, it was, it was around 2018. So, so what I'm getting from this is Bitcoin is 20 million identical pieces of um it's it's identical in terms of okay the the it's one bitcoin of course the metadata behind it is different yeah. right but nft is that each nft can be different from other nfts yeah so in, in, in essence in nfts you have um an id right so all the right. bitcoins they're all kind of the same right but every nft can have like in a collection can have um a number so it's the first one second one third one right just an identificator and that's what makes it non-fungible right that's the whole kind of uh i didn't know this word before nfts as well and i imagine it it's kind of <laughs> seems confusing first you hear it because it's not a word we use daily um but yeah that's what essentially that's what it means right um so and then kind of uh companies and people starting with crypto kitties right which was just a game uh figured out that this is going to be the utility of the blockchain again blockchain being the engine and nfts being one of the utilities and cryptocurrency being another utility right and perhaps like in a couple of years we'll come up with a third type of an asset that will have blockchain as a technology but will have a completely different like idea like for example right now uh, I can tell you right away, actually, like the th a third type of asset is coming, which is going to be called uh, soul bound NFTs. And what that means is that an NFT uh, can be given to you, let's say, by um, an establishment, by your university uh, or by your kind of uh, the administrative uh, entity that gives you driver's licenses in your country. And soul bound NFTs mean that you can receive it, but you cannot sell it or you cannot transfer it. And this is the next use case that is currently on the horizon for NFTs is to have them being used as diplomas, you know, as driver's licenses, basically as proof that is tied to your um, individual self, right? That you cannot just sell to someone. Got it. How do you spell it? Soulbound. Soulbound NFT. Yeah. Like, like Soulbound soul. NFT. Yeah, like human soul. And <laughs> like funny enough, um, the term comes from Vitalik buterin himself is the creator of uh, one of the creators of the ethereum blockchain and right. he was an avid world of warcraft player and this term soulbound comes from the game um itself 
So yeah. the the normal NFTs for the audience. So I'm, I'm actually I'm I'm know I know a lot less than you. So I think I can simplify certain things. Mm -hmm. So the normal NFTs when we create NFTs, you can so Arthur created NFT. I buy it from them. I, I buy it from you, and then I can sell that NFT. Yes, right? and it could it could go on this pyramid scheme, and like I can hand it all hand it hand it to another person they that, that person can buy it from me and that person can hand yeah. it over to another person but mm -hmm. the idea behind this behind the soul bound nfts especially it could have a lot of implication when it comes to driving license certificates yep. uh wheel um yeah what's gonna exactly happen? like property rights one of the most exciting use cases that right. i can see coming is an ability to just transfer ownership of a property or to sell your house uh, with a simple transaction, you know, through a browser, no going to offices, no signing papers, right? Because of course the technology isn't perfect. Like one of the arguments that uh, I sometimes hear is like, okay, well, what happens if a solar flare comes and destroys the internet? How are you gonna? What are you gonna do then? Well, if the solar flare comes, we're gonna have much bigger problems than proving, you know, <laughs> that you own an NFT. So that's kind of the use case that I'm looking towards. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean. I think I think there is a there is a lot of there's a question in the survey that do you think the demand for NFT will continue to grow or do you, and I think another uh, another person in the audience asked do you think there is a potential for NFTs these questions to me um are of course um coming from a very curious um coming from a curious angle um mm -hmm. but when you think about the, the the plethora of of application that could be unlocked with nfts either like the typical nfts that we are having right now or the soul bound ones mm -hmm. to me the answer is very obvious that this is just a tip of an iceberg mm -hmm. right exactly. um it's just it's just there are like bitcoin as a as a unit of um store like, as a technology to store value of itself mm -hmm. and recently with lightning network as a medium of exchange mm -hmm. that's going that's a huge use case that bitcoin is trying to solve and then there is a number of um basically other let's call them for the other networks like ethereum solana cardano they're trying to basically um, solve all the other use cases that typically cripple big organization and big governments problem mm -hmm. with identity problem with transferring the rights problem with um, yep. um what, what have you so that's on the on the institutional side and then there is a huge 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 space for brands to basically um redefine customer loyalty customer relationship and how do brands interact with yeah um, their customers exactly. yeah so so let's just get it out of the way nft is ridiculously going to be integrated into our world forever yep um i can give you an example that we're currently going to do as an experiment with so some friends and i um we organize a festival every summer for the last few years um a little music festival for our friends right so let's say from 500 to a thousand people and this year with this whole nft thing what we've decided to do uh is to let everyone who is inside of the festival right when you come in you usually get a wristband what we'll do is let those people claim a free digital wristband and so the reasoning behind this is that when you go to an event and then you leave an event um, most of the people, they cut the wristbands off, they throw them out. I just out of sentimental value, I usually store them just for the memories, right? I have a little box with like 20, 30, 40 of those wristbands. But the point being that people throw the wristbands away and the only way to prove that they've been to this event, right? That they're like the event is some pictures on the mobile phone. 
But now, let's say we're issuing these digital wristbands and people will have them in their wallets. They'll just have to scan a QR code and they'll be able to either enter their Ethereum address or just their email, right? And it'll be kind of stored for them securely until they decide to claim it through an email. And so essentially now, after each event, let's say we issue a digital wristband and then in three or five years, we'll decide to perhaps reward people who have at least three wristbands. Perhaps we'll give them a free VIP upgrade, right? Perhaps we'll give them a free ticket or a special experience or whatever, but it's our way to build loyalty and build a fan base um, without needing like a crazy infrastructure, right? Because it's all out there. All you have to do is just, you know, use one of the tools that's available um, and you can have, can start building your kind of, let's say, let's call it an email list on steroids, like the best segmentation tool out there, right? So here's like the one of the more obvious use cases. It, I, there, there is absolutely 100%. Yeah. Um, when we were talking about, I think in your text, I, the, way you, the way you're looking at NFTs uh, and you bre break them down into two big categories mm -hmm. um, of, is very interesting. So you mentioned that NFTs for brands, it can achieve two things. Right, mm -hmm. uh, I want to go quote unquote. Uh, it a NFTs deliver brands using NFTs can deliver their customers an open-ended digital product. That's lovely, right? So that's the mm -hmm. first one. And the second yeah. one is brand using NFTs can basically make customers vested have vested interest mm -hmm. in the success of the brand yeah right so two use cases nfts as open-ended digital products nfts mm -hmm. as a way to make our customers investors in the brand equity exactly indirectly right Direct so directly that, that's, the, that's the beauty of it, that it's still a product. And so let, perhaps uh, let's go over both of them, um, exactly. break them down. Yeah, so an open and a digital product um, is just a term. I'm not coining it. It's just something that we were writing copy for Bonanza. And I uh, thought that it's something that could make good sense to people reading it, to brands. Essentially, when you have a digital product that you deliver, let's say it's an ebook, right? Or a piece of software or whatever it is, right? The customer journey is you kind of, uh, you know, the customer becomes aware of you, you educate them, you know, perhaps they buy your product and then either the interaction ends or then you kind of try to upsell them something, right? But their interest ends with like owning and receiving that product and getting the value from it, right? What I mean by open-ended um, digital product is that once a person, a customer buys your, in this case, an open-ended product is an NFT, uh, they buy an NFT hoping or like knowing that there's some certain perks to it, right? That let's say there's some discounts that you'll offer to your brand. There's some um, exclusive events that you'll provide to the NFT holders. But the point being that you as a brand can always pile up more value onto it. It's a product that let's say never ends delivering. And this is the case if, for example, you as a brand, you decide to launch a collection of these core, let's say number of NFTs that will be as your kind of, main badge of like, you know, a fan badge, right? And then you decide that people who hold those NFTs, those badges, they're your most loyal customers and fans. And your sole goal is to nurture them and um, reward them as the time goes by, right? And then it means when they get this product, whether it's for free, um, whether they pay, you know, a few hundred dollars for it, and you promise them, here's our roadmap. Um, you're going to get this, this, and that. We're going to do an event. We're going to do a meetup. You'll receive this free product. You'll receive these discounts. The good part is that you as a brand, you can keep evolving the product, right? And so the more you evolve it, the more reasons you give the customer to hold on to it. The higher it value grows, the more the customer is interested in your success, right? So it's a, like a perpetual loop. It's a customer journey that never really ends, right? And that's where I feel like most of these really supreme and very kind of tight customer um, relationships will come from, right? Where you'll actually have fan bases forming around your brand. Exactly. And, you know, we don't need to go uh, 
out of our way to try to understand these use cases. These use cases are already being implemented mm -hmm. in our physical world. For example, if you if you have a Soho House membership, you get access to physical space. You can go there, work from there. There is, you know, there is an exclusive, uh, you know, a gym and the, you know, there is pool. There is like a restaurant. So these are the mm -hmm. fixed things that you are getting out of your membership. However, there are more uh, ad hoc events, exhibitions that you get on top of your fixed fee that you're paying on the membership. So mm -hmm. they're not, it's, they're ad hoc, they're seasonal. There, there could be, you know, it, you know, you never know. For example, one of these famous artists decided to have a lo-fi event in one of his in Soul House, you, and this is your dream artist, and you can get to see them because of your membership. And then, as as you can see, the Soul House membership is very demanded. There is a lot. There is you have to go through a rigorous, a rigorous process. To get this membership, sometimes it takes even it it takes it, it takes a while to 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 get one of these membership. But as soon as you get this membership, you unlock you basically first you get a status update on part of a soul house whatever. Mm -hmm. Like it's a status update. I can go get to hang out with exclusive people in there. Not you know it's basically handpicked because of this rigorous process. And then the, I get some fixed. Um, perks and some add-on perks on a seasonal uh, temporary basis so that's yep. the same mechanism is going to apply to all these nft based initiatives or nft as an open-ended digital product yeah and it's important to mention that so even though we sort of call it a product right nfts will never become uh in my opinion or it could never be a straightforward um, revenue channel or a business model. Um, if you have a, an existing brand, you cannot just, you still have to keep, you know, you need to have sustainable recurring revenue channels of the products you're selling, because even though you kind of, let's say you can raise a chunk of money uh, with NFTs, it's not something that's going to keep you going. And, you know, I want to, at this point, I want to kind of refer to the question that was beforehand where somebody asked, so how are NFTs going to do in the next few months? Like, it's a very interesting question because currently we're at a point where all these projects that raised a million or two million a year ago right uh when it was so easy to sell out an nft collection they're about to run out of their runway right they're about to kind of be brought to the front uh in front of their holders uh showcasing what have they achieved from their roadmaps because they're about to run out of money and uh, you asked also so what projects might be worth staying in or like looking at is probably the ones that have either already established business models or they're too big to fail pretty much right like the board of yacht club and all those because they have a huge amount of cash and they have some products that they're already kind of selling right and so that's kind of uh, a little bit a little of a tangent but essentially uh yeah if you want to do get into this nft business you have to use it as a branding tool and not a business kind of tool, right? So let's talk about the second application of NFTs. NFTs as a way for brands to get their customers invested in the brand equity mm -hmm. and become brand evangelists, brand advocates. Can you bring this home with an example? Yeah. Um, so let's say invested. So that, that's a part where invested directly. I think a lot of brands will try to avoid that terminology, right? Because NFTs currently are in this area where they're not considered a security. They can be considered, you know, on a on the same level of an asset as a Pokemon card, right? Or any kind of digital or any collectible that you can buy, right? But it's sort of still just a product, right? Because as soon as uh, a company promises, uh, you know, their NFT holders of kind of a monetary return, let's say, you know, a lot of these projects kind of they did the staking thing where, hey, you hold this NFT and then we'll give you a percentage of revenue, whatever. This is where it starts getting into, into this red territory, which is like legally still a hugely gray area. 
right? So we'll consider this uh, concept of NFTs being uh, a tool that makes your customers vested into your brand is because let's take like an example here. Let's imagine like we all know Supreme, right? Um, a super kind of sought after brand. And when they do drops, right, people come out of their uh, stores and so on. And so it's basically first come, first serve basis, right? They don't really have any gating mechanism. It's just either people who are savvy enough to do, uh, to kind of set up bots on their website, you know, and buy out stuff as much as fast as possible and then try to um, sell it off on eBay or it's people who camp outside of the stores for three, four days. And so now imagine for a second, if NFTs, if Supreme used NFTs uh, that said, okay, so here's 500 NFTs. We're launching a collection of 1,000 hoodies. 500 will be reserved to these NFT holders, and 500 will go the usual route, you know, the website and the campers and the store. Immediately, you have, like, this product, right, this NFT that becomes so valuable because it just eases, like, your life by so much um, of getting products from a brand that you really love. Of course, you know, there's one in a million brands that can pull this off. But, you know, we'll see how this will kind of grow in the future because I have a feeling that by introducing something like this, right, where customers can have a product and it gives them perks with your brand that they love, I think we might see a lot more kind of smaller brands forming with small fan bases, right? And then imagine each time you do a drop, um, the NFT becomes more valuable and your brand grows and you know you're not directly invested as an investor. You don't hold the stock, but the brand becomes bigger. It means more people want to have this NFT to have access to these, let's say, hoodies before everyone else. So the NFT value also grows, right? And so you're kind of winning because the brand is winning and you become like the tightest fan of the brand because you want to see them succeed because that means you'll succeed as well, right? Exactly. And then it's, it's so, I mean, I don't know if in the audience, how many of you been collecting sports cards when you were a kid or like when you were teenagers and same mechanisms like, you know, um, that we use to make our cards hot and popular in a, within our circle of friends, same mechanism are now being used in on digital landscape that, okay, if I really want to get this NFT that I have from this brand hot and popular, I have to do some marketing in myself too. So yeah. it's because it's because like, you know, everyone wins. It's a win-win situation that brands can win, you win because there, there will be a lot of demands around it. Exactly. And so, uh, oh, I see there's a couple of questions and, uh, so I'll just address the first one right away. So about the NFTs projects being businesses and monetary tools, you're hundred percent correct. That's how most of the projects coming into the space been using it as a fundraising tool. And arguably NFTs have been the best fundraising tool we could see. Like that's how our project back last summer um, came, became alive as well. So one of the first projects I worked on was that we created a software for music visualization, right? And the idea was that you can upload um, your song and then we have a, a visual editor with a lot of presets where you can modify stuff where um, visuals automatically sync to music. And what we did is we sold these NFTs and these NFTs worked sort of as a software license for it, right? So, and then our kind of business plan there was, okay, we fundraise this first kind of money to develop this tool to get a team. And then we introduce subscriptions as well. And then we have these two sides where um, the NFTs act as a, let's say, as a lifetime license. And it works as a thank you to these early holders that kind of believe, right? And let's say invested in the product. And then there's... Um, the subscription, like the general business model that we know, right, that kind of keeps giving revenue to the company. And to answer your question, um, so we did it that in a way that we thought was kind of correct because we had a plan how to generate revenue. Most of these brands, most of, most of these projects, fundraising money with just pictures, you know, they all had copy-paste roadmaps of like merch, collabs, you know, um, an animation show, whatever, but they didn't have a plan um, to generate business. And that's why most of them will going to die out soon because they're going to run out of runway uh, because they didn't consider that fact. And even though it was a monetary tool, um, it was it, it has proven to be an incorrect approach to it, right? Um, but I still think like in the future, you know, uh, we'll still see a lot of these projects, you know, especially if it's a brand 
or not a brand, maybe if it's a creator that comes from the background of, you know, whatever they do, music, and they want to fundraise for a project. Let's say a musician wanting to fundraise for an album, you know, for because it costs a lot of money to record 10 songs, to make videos. And, you know, an artist with a small, but, you know, very devoted audience may raise some money by selling NFTs and then creating this album and then, you know, featuring perhaps those holders on there or something. So it has been a monetary tool, but it's not, in my opinion, the best way uh, how NFTs will be used in the future. Oh, yeah. It, it could be even like one of the new applications I learned was like these big famous paintings, right? They, they create a hundred NFTs out of each um, some yeah. square meters of these paintings and exactly. then you own that piece of that painting and then you can actually trade it online, which is mind-blowing right and then you collect if you decide to collect all these pieces i i've heard about a project right where uh they split the painting up and then if you collect all the pieces you have the right to kind of redeem it because they store it in their let's say um art bank or whatnot oh sorry your mic is off jamie has a really good question about gamings traditional gamings and nfts yeah. same topic that we talked yeah previously why traditional gamers are against nfts um, especially common sense telling us that they should be the first movers into this space uh, i don't i don't know if you remember our previous conversation on this but maybe if you yep. go a bit extra mile and expand on it because that's a very cool question so about the gaming yeah so just before that i want to quickly uh answer mariam's question about so why should brands uh give up their cloud-based loyalty programs right in the advantage of the nfts and uh perhaps the easiest way to put this answer is because you become much more devoted and interested in something when you own a part of it right and nfts is a way for you to own a part of this loyalty program right the more people that want to join the loyalty program right the more valuable it becomes and so you as a member you win and you can exit the program and kind of you know get rewarded for it so that's kind of the easy program that you are personally invested in the success of this loyalty program if it's just somewhere in the cloud you know there's a lot of like airplane uh kind of uh, air companies right um they have these bonus points that like flight points that when you fly you receive these points right and maybe if you fly very often then once in a year you get a free ticket right it's cool you kind of appreciate it it's nice but you know uh imagine now that you own it and there's a person and there's a limited amount of these kind of club cards right where you can get these points and there's a person who flies much more often than you right and they want to get it but you have it right and you don't fly it that often so in essence you can kind of give up your spot for them and sell your spot to them right so it's a huge kind of it becomes a very it becomes like a micro economy uh in every brand right so that's that, that's a way to answer um that question now yeah and to, add, to add viewers also it's another way of engaging your customers around your brand like um it allowing again to, to to the main topic is like you make your customers invested in your brand so they're going out their way to sort of like market what you are offering as part of nft or any other uh, programs that you are offering so basically they 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 in you basically buying your customers hours so they are going to invest in your brand and developing it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So um, yeah, back to back to gaming. So quick. Yeah, so why why was Bill Gates skeptic in the Virgin interview? I haven't seen the interview, but Bill Gates and Warren Buffett they're skeptical uh, about a lot of new stuff, right? And it's understandable because they were brought up in a different time. They had their own innovations, right? That they kind of went through. Um, but essentially, you know, to kind of really appreciate NFTs, we have to make this mental jump because we as a society, since the beginning of the Internet, we got used to the idea that everything's everything that's digital, it's kind of free and available to everyone. You can copy every file, you can send everything, right? You can take a screenshot. We're used to this idea. 
And to really appreciate NFTs, we have to make a mental jump as a society to a world where people can own digital stuff, right? And it might be hard, and especially hard if you've lived, you know, 70 years of your life um, in a different world. So it's understandable, but like that's kind of how I see it. I so I think you're sort of like touching upon uh, touching upon sort of evolution of Web two. So let's just like while we are on the topic. So Web one. So in, so internet came in the technology and got introduced in mid mid nineties, early nineties. Internet nodes, da 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 da. Then Web one, which was a read mode edits to a certain extent mode mm-hmm. uh, um, web got introduced right and uh, after that long time web 2 came out which is a platform-based social media so people can talk to each other directly at scale right so i was actually reading the article you suggested it was interesting mm-hmm. that Walmart digital platform, first Walmart digital platform got introduced six, seven years after Amazon yeah. was found. Which was still super early, which was still like 2001 yeah. or whatever, right? I was mind blown and sort of like, yeah. sort of like, I, I think comparing Web 1 to Web 3 is not very um smart because we're completely living in different climates but we can at least get a feel for how early we are in the web3 space yeah. right i feel like we are at the, at the at the at the place or at the time that amazon was in in late 90s uh and it's such a it's so new so um Talk to me a bit about Web3 and how is it different from Web1, which was reading and editing, Web2, social media, communication mm-hmm. and scale. Yeah. So just to add a little bit to that. So the way uh, when we, com- we, we want to compare Web3 to like Web2 and Web1, um, something that I like to remind myself about is that, so look at this, right? So internet like some sort of internet usage started in the 90s, right? With the email and so on. Um, and because and the common way people were sharing information, it was mouth to mouth, newspapers, books, right? Um, we didn't have all this access, fast access to any information we want in the world, like at a tip of a button, right? And so the development it took, so it took like, you know, Amazon a, a dozen years, right? Then Walmart came in seven years later. So all this development from the 90s until 2010, let's say it took 15 years to make uh, internet commonplace uh, where people were starting to make transactions, buying stuff, you know, chatting, YouTube, this and that. Let's say it took 15 years. And what we have to consider is that it took 15 years in the climate of like information accessibility that was back then. Now, information is accessible. All information is accessible to everyone instantly, right? It becomes a problem of filtering for this information. But the point being that the stuff that took internet 15 years might take Web3 three years or five years. You know, we don't know what kind of use case or what's going to happen in the next one or two years, but there's a big possibility that something big is going to happen that's just going to make it so mainstream um, and it's going to be accelerated on the shoulders of all the stuff that internet was like going through, right? Because there's a huge base, like, as you said yourself, there's a different climate and this climate is of like instantly accessible information, right? People learning, people using, doing, and already like internet natives, right? So this jump, this transition, in my opinion, is gonna happen faster than like the internet itself take place, took place. And uh, yeah. Cool. So. Web3, what is yeah. it that makes Web3 different from Web2 and Web1? Yeah, so that's uh, very often people use the uh, term NFTs and Web3 kind of interchangeably, which it is not, where Web3 is still sort of a buzzword, right, that doesn't have a strict or rigid specification, right? Um, there's a few articles out there by smart people that kind of try to define it, but essentially what it 
goes down to is the principles of kind of essentially communication, right? What Web3 brings. So when Web2 brought trans transactions and, you know, information exchange, right? Uh, Web3 brings ownership. Like that's the easy answer where in Web3 is the internet where you can own stuff, right? Um, that's the easy answer. Uh, something that we can kind of talk about is the principles that Web3 might be built on, which is, first of all, of course, the decentralization aspect, right? Where the data that you kind of have, that you own it, that not a single entity or corporation owns it. It's a data that you can always kind of access or take it away to another provider. A good example here that I like to mention is so... Uh, I've been really a lot in, into researching music NFTs. And one thing, I, I remember reading an article that put it very nicely. One of the points they put very nicely that one of the principles for Web3 could be that, let's imagine like a Web2 Spotify, right? A music distributor. What a Web3 music distributor uh, could look like is, would be if the artist, when they use the distributor, the platform, uh, as they release music, they start building their listener base. Right. And there's there in the back end, uh, a social graph starts forming of their listeners profile. Right. What kind of other music their listeners like, you know, when do they listen, what regions they listen from. And essentially, each artist would have the social graph of people. Right. That would be on that platform. And a Web3 counterpart to Spotify would allow the music artist to export the social graph and import it into other any other software or music provider that would like. So they would instantly have access to their um, audience. They would in, there would instantly be a cohort of people on that platform that their music would be recommended to because they would own the social graph. They would own this data of their listeners. Another cool example is something that, so Elon Musk recently, you probably heard about him trying to buy Twitter and so on. And one of the first things they wanna do um, is open source algorithms, right? And what this means is like, you know, this whole polarization and political thing with Facebook kind of suggesting stuff that you're more likely to engage to, it's an algorithm that kind of governs it, right? And what Web3 can bring is uh, the openness and transparency of this alg these algorithms where you could essentially, you know, could have a marketplace of different algorithms that you could choose and pick which you'd like your social media feed to have. Because even right now, Instagram has implemented the, uh, you know, they and Twitter, both Twitter and Instagram had implemented back this kind of uh, timeline, right? Where you, instead of seeing the algorithmic tweets or posts on Instagram, you could see them chronologically. Like a few years ago, right? Long time ago, they took them away. Now with all this kind of seeing that the world's going to shit, excuse me, right? They decided that, okay, people should have some kind of power over what content they see. And in Web3, this could be one of the points as well, where you are the one who decides um, what kind of algorithms you want to have, where your data goes, you know, and so on. So, you know, that's kind of rom romanticizing this whole thing. Um, we'll see how it's going to turn out because we very well know that people prefer, um, you know, usability and comfort over, uh, you know, ownership because people are much more, people much more tend to accept something that's easy to use, right? Rather than kind of being sure that they own the stuff and they can, you know, it, it, in every moment they can go away. So we'll see how, how that pans out, but these are some of the principles behind Web3. Also, like, you know, if you, if you want to, like, you know, extend the metaphor of Web3, not metaphor, but, like, the whole core principle of it, which would be data ownership, would be that when I sign up to that social media platform, um, uh, I have a unique token that, and given the transparency, if there is an ad mechanisms in place that use my... Um, personal data to sell more ads, I would benefit from those sales and uh, that those ad revenues. So yes. basically, again, extending the topic that uh, if I have an NFT of a brand, I become invested in a brand. If I am, if I, if I am part of the platform and I, as an entity in the platform, 
my ID is recognized via an NFT. So all the ad revenue that is generated and my activities are clear how it would contribute to the ad revenue. Um, I would get a cut from the growth of the platform. Yep. And uh, a good example here is, so they opened up back in like 2016, 17, right? Um, Brave. It's a it's an internet browser that essentially lets you own your data and kind of pays you uh, for you watching the ads. You know, you're going to see the ads one way or another. It's there kind of, there, there's, you know, it's a pretty simple kind of equation for a business to work. They have to make money. And, uh, you know, if you don't pay for using their product, you pay with data, right? Um, and so what Brave did is they kind of opened this concept up, spoke about it, transparently showed, yes, hey, this is the case. And they allowed kind of people to get a share of, you know, what they get for the data, right? Um, that's the idea. And perhaps we could jump back to Jamie's question here um, and chat about the gaming a little bit because we... <laughs> Put that off for for a bit. Yeah, I think so. I, I you know we are we are fifty five minutes in. I I know that you wanted to show a lot of examples, but mm -hmm. I sort of like feeling that we could have part two, part three, part four of this conversation and go deeper as we explore more. So I think uh, let's see how far we are going to go through. I mean, the agenda that we have is mm -hmm. I think we covered most of the agenda except the exam let me put it up well there's a whole kind of overview that took us kind of <laughs> two sessions to go over you know exactly so let's team. let's uh, let's get uh, jamie's uh question in and mm -hmm. then we can see what we can cover the, the as next yeah so about gaming nfts and uh, why do so many traditional gamers hate on nfts despite uh you would think they're the target group tech savvy um great question uh the simple answer is if a game is fun enough to play you don't have to incentive you don't have to kind of incentivize people to earn from it right and that's the biggest challenge that play to earn has to solve is that as soon as you kind of turn any experience into a paying experience it's partially going to become a job for someone right and we play games because it's fun and this is like this big paradox of play to earn of all these projects that are raising money with NFTs saying we're going to do a play to earn game um, without ever perhaps building a game before. Right. And so kind of combining these two things where the game is fun on its own and there's an optional way to earn from it. That's going to be like the biggest challenge that I hope we see someone kind of tackle and solve in the coming years. And the main reason it hasn't been solved yet is because well, NFTs have been around like in, you know, public's perception for a bit more than a year, right? And it takes much, much longer to develop a good game than a year, right? So by the time we were in the middle of the whole NFT bubble, that's when kind of uh, all the big studios started considering it. And they received so much heat. I actually have a, I think I have an article open here. I hope that I didn't close it. Maybe I did. It was an article about... Uh, the title was all the uh, NFT games that have been canceled so far, <laughs> right? So essentially everybody from EA to Activision to like whoever tried to kind of get into there, but they received such a backlash from the players, you know, because it was it, it was a total kind of it, a total mess and many of these companies backtracked. But, you know, I think what's going to happen, the first successful kind of AAA, let's say, game that's played earn game that we're going to see is going to come from like a new studio or a new publisher right even though epic games which is the publisher of fortnite uh right uh they kind of decided to embrace this whole nft while steam decided to kind of push it away um epic games decided to kind of pull it in right and there there, there were news i think a week ago or so that one of their first games is coming out around this and the feedback as i understood it wasn't too great but i'll i, I didn't dig in too deep but essentially the problem being is that you know combining the earn part with fun part um because you're gonna have you know you you will have two audiences playing the game because you'll have people who just want to play it for the fun of it and then there's going to be people who play to earn from it and then it's going to be probably a very weird dynamic that we'll have to solve like in the gaming part right yeah i think i think it's still like 
still we need to we need to see a very successful model as i need we briefly talk about this too is like you know you cannot make a make a make a bad game successful by adding a play to earn component right? exactly Exactly. You know, and if the game uh, on itself needs to have a great story, great characters, great game mechanics, and what have you, so these yes. are the things yes. that needs to be, you know, you know, especially if you want to. I think I feel like the gaming community, gaming folks, uh, uh, you know, they have a high standard of what's a good quality product and what's a bad quality product. I really cannot just like you know bullshit them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you know what adds on to it is the fact that most of the projects uh, that kind of, you know, sold NFTs uh, and promised people to build a play to earn game, most of the people who bought that NFT, they will not play that game. Right. Those people are investors who want to flip the NFT, earn some money. And especially if it's some sort of whale, you know, that buys up 10, 15, 20 of those NFTs, there's a very big possibility they have better things to do than play some little mobile game, you know, to earn pennies later on, right? So this is where kind of it doesn't really stack together. And any game that sort of decides to sell NFTs, let's say as playable characters, uh, the only way they'll succeed is if they are also free to play. That this mm -hmm. NFT ownership, it's an optional thing. That play to earn is an optional thing for like the most dedicated people um because you know like and you know there's no reason to believe it's not gonna work because we have runescape we have world of warcraft where people have been grinding and like grinding gold yeah. just to sell it on a dark black market right for for real money yeah exactly that's 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 behavior is already proven i mean yeah. people have done this in the black market just changing their profile and what have you so i think those are really good especially if if a game is it's very, very well designed and well executed, and you enjoy it. And you are trying to, sp you spend like hours and days of your life in it, and like creating and boosting a character. And that character, right now in the digital economy, that is going to get unlocked with Web three, mm -hmm. is going to to is going to have huge, 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 huge value. Yep, exactly. Cool, very cool. Hey, uh, we got in a solid one hour of fantastic conversation. In the next conversation that we are going to have with uh, Arthur together, we are going to walk you through um, all these examples and go really deep into NFT space. And have an eye on our events on Meetup, Eventbrite, and LinkedIn, because every month that we touch base, we are going to talk about what is happening in the world of NFT, what has changed and what you need to be watching out for. Thank you, team. Thank you, Arthur. Fantastic yeah. conversation. This this was it, uh, our dear listeners, our podcasters. Uh, end of episode. Um, thanks a lot for watching. Thanks for a lot for listening. And we see each other soon for the next episode, for the next webinar, wherever you are. NFT is booming. We are taking it seriously. That's why Arthur is here. Um, soon you are going to have bunch of bunch of news. We are making making serious moves in this space. Follow us. You'll soon hear more about what we're doing. Ciao. Bye bye.